Welcome to Hustle and Motivate, presented by JokerMag.com. On this podcast, we sit down with real-life underdogs in the world of sports, entertainment, and more. We focus on their mindset, how they overcame adversity, and lessons they've learned along the way. Our mission is to show you the power of the underdog mentality. Underdog mentality. Because hungry dogs run faster. Here's your host, Tyler O'Shea. I'm here with Jesse Bradley. Jesse is a former professional goalkeeper who played in Africa and Scotland. He's also a radio host, pastor, podcaster, author, and speaker. I'm really excited to have Jesse here to tell his underdog story and to share the lessons he's learned from his journey. Jesse, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Tyler. It's an honor to just get this time with you. And uh, I've enjoyed talking to you even before the podcast, getting to know you better, but also just to share my story and encourage people because a lot of times in life, it does feel like we're going up against huge obstacles and the odds are against us. But also, uh, I've just seen in my life through perseverance and uh, learning from mistakes. And I just consider it really, it's, it's a gift to just keep going. And then uh, incredible things happen when we do. So thanks for having me. And I appreciate you and your podcast a lot. Yeah, thank you for coming on, man. So I, I really want to start from the beginning. Um, you know, tell me about how you grew up and how you got started with sports. Did you always see yourself becoming a professional athlete? Yeah, I was one of those kids that loved sports from day one. I mean, collecting baseball cards, football cards with any money I had. I would set up Nerf hoop in my uh, bedroom, and I was <laughs> both teams, of course, and I was basically an only kid. My sisters are 17 and 20 years younger, and I would keep score, and my games would be like 120 to 117, you know, come, <laughs> come down to the wire and call my own fouls and three-point plays and everything. So I had a creative mind. Uh, constantly on teams. When I, I grew up in the University of Minnesota campus, and the first department I lived was in the football stadium uh, parking lot right there. And I caught that buzz of sports. We would go to the hockey games, basketball. And I told my parents, I was in preschool, like age three, I said, this is what I want to do when I grow up. I want to do sports. And so I, I, I knew it like early on. And then, you know, my parents got divorced when I was seven. And I think that was probably one of those things that just increased my passion for sports because sports were such a pure joy. And uh, it was a part of life that maybe when other parts were difficult, I could go to and just thrive and make friends mm -hmm. and you know score touchdowns and all sorts of stuff. And so I played basketball, baseball, and soccer in high school. And if I could have, I would have played, you know, golf and tennis and football. And it was just, how do I narrow it down? And I couldn't get enough, played year round, talked about sports all the time, memorized statistics. Uh, so yeah, it, sports just felt like it's always been a huge part of my life and a big passion. So you mentioned playing three different sports in high school. When did you decide, you know, to drop the other two and really zero in on soccer? You know, when you're playing different sports, I think there's ones that you enjoy more, but then sometimes there's other ones that you're actually better at. And the one I enjoyed the most was basketball. We had a good run. You know, our high school team was right up there at the top of the conference. And and I had, you know, good statistics, like I think senior year, 20 points a game. So I was doing pretty well in high school, but I knew I didn't have, you know, the jumping ability, the quickness, some of the skills 
to make it Division One. You know, I probably would have been Division Three. Yet in soccer, I was a goalkeeper, and it was a different story. I uh, was getting recruited, and it was clear I was going to be able to play on a really good team in college. And so that's where my potential was. And sports were so important to me. I went with the sport uh, that I knew I could continue playing. And I had dreams of playing after college and was able to. Also, soccer is the number one sport in the world, so there's international opportunities. But basketball was my first love. I mean, I would even go to bed with a basketball sometimes as a kid, you know, going right there in the bed with me. Uh, but soccer was fun. Goalkeeper is a unique position in soccer. I tell my kids I've got four children to maybe try the other 10 positions. If that doesn't go well, then <laughs> goalkeeper's last resort because it, it's unique. There's a lot of pressure. You've got to be up for it. A lot of responsibility, not a lot of goals in soccer. So if you let one up, it, it's pretty much on you if you lose sometimes. And the ones you should have saved. But again, I enjoyed it. I loved being back there and kind of guiding the team like a general and communicating and shootouts were fun. And, and so I had a good time and our high school team won a couple state championships. We got to play in the Metrodome, you know, in front of a big crowd. I also had guys on my high school team play professionally. One played in the World Cup for the U.S. Uh, and a lot of them just still involved with sports. A couple of them are running the Minnesota team right now and in the MLS. And so I was part of a really special group where uh, so many of our team played, you know, for the state regionally. And uh, there was a lot of skill. We had a great coach who really knew how to develop us and kind of get the most of our talent. Yeah, that's amazing. So walk me through, you know, when you get to college and you guys won two, two Ivy League championships. That's amazing. What was your guys' team chemistry like that made you guys so special? Yeah, it was out on the East Coast, so closer to you at Dar Dartmouth College. And we had, a again, another great coach. You know, if you're a young athlete, I encourage you to just stick with great coaches because they will bring out your best. And they also create, it was like a family, uh, my college team. We still keep in touch. And, you know, when I got there my freshman year, I uh, played in the second part of the season and we won that Ivy League championship and it was incredible. We won the last four games in conference and uh, we hadn't won it in like a couple decades. And so I just remember coming back, we won the final game at Brown, coming back to Dartmouth and the whole ride home, it just felt like we were singing. We were uh, just yeah. like, you could just feel the, the buzz, the excitement uh, and then just run around campus. Like we just won the Ivy League. and. And it doesn't feel like that many years ago, but uh, it's fresh in my mind. And it was like a breakthrough. If you've ever been part of a team that's been down for a long time, and mm -hmm. then you you get that trophy or that championship, it's like a bond that you never forget your, your whole life. And uh, we're part of something special. There were, um, you know, some great seniors on that team. Andrew Shu went on to, you know, an acting career, and he played in the MLS too. But our, our coach, Bobby Clark, was a legend overseas in Scotland, and he brought us together, and uh, we just thoroughly enjoyed every minute together from the training, because it's a process. I, I think three things are important when you're on a team. One is the process you know, of getting there. Second is the relationships, and third is the end goal. And in our team, like all three were incredible. And uh, that was my freshman year. We won. Uh, again, the Ivy League, my junior year, we made it to the NCAA tournament. We got down to the final eight teams. 
we lost against Rutgers, Alexi Lawless, who's on ESPN. So uh, every time I see him, I get to remember that game. But anyways, uh, yeah, we lost uh, one nothing at Rutgers, and that was another great run. And so uh, just great time in college. You know, interestingly, college, I felt like I grew up in so many ways. Uh, I never grew up with any kind of faith, but that was the time I took a class at Dartmouth just to read all the different texts from the different religions. And that was the first time I ever read the Bible or really heard about Jesus. And I decided my sophomore year to follow him. And that was just the best decision of my life. And that helped me actually in soccer because as a goalkeeper, I put so much pressure on myself. And it's like, it was all me and self-reliant and got to perform and got to be top notch. And almost it was like white knuckle some games. And then it just gave me a different perspective. Like I got to enjoy the sport and just savor it more. And uh, it was much more healthy. And so it shifted sometimes soccer out of that number one spot in my life and just kind of put it where it really belonged. And like I say, that took pressure off me too. Definitely. And you talk about pressure, you know, as you're progressing as an athlete and rising through the ranks, did you, did you deal with any doubts personally about whether or not, you know, you'd accomplish your goal of going pro? Yeah. And of course, a lot of people, when you're an athlete, uh, size you up differently and, There's different people like there were some, you know, and I won't say any names, but really influential people that thought, okay, I could play in high school, but I'm probably not going to do much in college and uh, just didn't have a backing. Or there's some college coaches that when you talk to them, it sounds like they really want you, you know, in the recruiting. But -hmm. then when push comes to shove, it's like, yeah, they're not there and you didn't get into the school. And so the ups and downs are pretty intense. And if you in life are relying on what other people say about you all the time, that's just a trap because uh, you're going to be on a vicious roller coaster ride. And sometimes it's cruel and you'll be disappointed. Uh, And that was a shift from you know, just, okay, who am I? And, uh, and then that perseverance and drive, but then also, you know, I mentioned faith when you know, God's on your side, that makes a huge difference too. But going to college, you know, getting there, there was a number of other goalkeepers and I thought about transferring when I wasn't a starter right away. I thought about transferring and I, I just, um, my, my roommate said, don't do that. Hang in there. Like you're getting close. And, uh, and that was encouraging. That, that was big my freshman year. And then, you know, every time there's something new that you haven't done before, I mean, the fear starts to just circulate in your body and it's like, it can hinder your performance. I was a goalkeeper and shootouts were big. I mean, yeah. interestingly, it can go either way in a shootout. Like my final championship high school game, senior year, we won a shootout and I had one of my best games. And I think that helped launch me towards college. And then, you know, in college, I still remember, you know, some penalty shots I should have saved, but also, um, you know, like we made it to the NCAA as my junior year and it was in the snow and it was a shootout at home. And it's like, we won and we hadn't won an NCAA game before. And that was amazing. So I think, um, you're constantly tested in sports. It's one of the great things. And uh, it's like, where are you going to turn? And uh, it tests your character, it tests your courage, and you can't fake it. So it it really, um, it uh, I just say to the core, it where are you going to turn when things are tough? And, uh, and that's something that uh, is so relevant to every day in life too. Yeah, sports, I could say personally, have just helped me develop it as a person so much it just 
there's so many parallels between competition, especially, you know, in college with such intense competition and, you know, life itself. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, you need to have more discipline in college. You eat, drink, and sleep the sport. And if you don't have that drive and passion, like it's going to show. And I saw that guys in college, they would just kind of fade from the team and maybe they were on the bench or maybe they would just kind of stop playing. And uh, you got to have that drive and passion, also that discipline, which you need in a lot of things. I mean, in business or if it's spiritual or we've got four kids, so we need the structure, you know, to keep the family on track. But you do, you have to get locked in and have a plan and have a focus and clarify your priorities. And in, in sports, just some of those repetition that you keep doing, working on skills, when you get in those habits, they can pay off in other arenas in life too. Mm -hmm. So going back to when you were in college, when did you start getting looks from professional teams? It was one of those things that opened up pretty naturally. A lot of it was because of our coach. Our team went to Scotland and we did that my junior year and played against a lot of different, you know, professional teams in Scotland or some of their youth teams within a professional club. And, you know, getting to do that was, it just opened up a whole new level and a whole new experience and then building some of those connections. But I went back then to Scotland later on and it was at Aberdeen, which is a pretty well-known club there in Scotland. And then also played some up in the Highland League. And uh, it was so good to be overseas in a couple of ways. I mean, different style of play, it forces you to have different skills. Scotland is a very rugged place. The winters were cold in Aberdeen. I grew up in Minnesota, but I would say Aberdeen was a tougher winter being outside and it's wet and cold and the wind all the time. And that was a a locker room where there wasn't a lot of encouragement, you know, like whereas in college, it was like a family. But then in, in Scotland, it was tough. It was a little more cutthroat. Like guys were sarcastic and everyone's trying to fight for the same spots. And there's only so many positions and it's your livelihood. And it just, uh, you could feel the competition. And if you made a mistake, everyone was on you. And that forced me to be more resilient. And so I learned a lot there. And so our team went over there. I went back over there and played. Scotland was an incredible place. I love the people there. Uh, I just love, yeah, the accents. It's gritty. I love the games. I just, that's the place that's dear to my heart. And I was so grateful to be able to go overseas and play. You know, this was just before the MLS. And so when I graduated, there was no great option in the States. I did mm-hmm. play for a Minnesota team. It was kind of like, you know, there's a Minnesota team now in the MLS, but it was that team before the MLS. And, and that's kind of the best there was. And, and that's what we were doing is playing uh, for a season there. And then overseas in Scotland, uh, there was an opportunity in England, but I had a choice between England and Africa. And I chose Africa and Zimbabwe was the place. One of the reasons I chose it is because England felt similar to Scotland in some ways. I mean, different places and different mm-hmm. people, but Africa felt um, very different. And I had never been in a place where there was, you know, poverty, AIDS, where there was an opportunity for me to really help people and uh, outside of soccer. And you put all that together. Uh, I went to Africa with my friend, Tommy Clark. We both played for uh, in Bulawayo for the Highlanders there. And he, out of that time, has also developed grassroots soccer, which educates and prevents AIDS. 
So it's cool to look back at that time in Zimbabwe and just see what's developed in Tommy's life. But then also uh, for me, it was one of those turning points in my life too. Yeah. So let's talk about that, that turning point. You know, you're, you're there, you're playing for the team, you're tutoring students and you're prescribed to this drug that's supposed to protect you against malaria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called larium. It's a controversial drug. Uh, there's been a lot of efforts to try to ban the drug. I didn't know that there could be any side effects or there's any danger. I just took it as prescribed every week and it built up toxic levels in my system. I ended my professional career, had to fly back to the States and the doctors in Zimbabwe sent me back because they didn't know what the cause was and they could see it was getting more serious every week. And while I had enough strength to get back, they sent me back. And when I got home, I was in bed for eight days. I mean, could barely move. And we started seeing all kinds of different doctors because I had so many different symptoms and I couldn't regulate my temperature. So there was sweats and chills. And then I had double vision. So we had to go to the eye doctor. I had massive migraines. And so we were trying to figure out what that was. So sensitive to the light, but the most serious, well, then of course, there was also a lot of uh, emotional type symptoms where I was pretty even keeled before this, but I would have crazy dreams. And then there would be waves of like, depression would just hit. And even like suicidal thoughts would start to flood my mind. It's like, where is this coming from? And then there'd be anxiety and more panic attacks. And the drug was running its course and just creating all kinds of chaos. But it also affected my physical heart and my heart would start beating like 160 beats a minute and just sitting still, which is what it should be when you're in a vigorous workout. Uh, But it couldn't regulate itself anymore. So I also had atrial flutter and heart murmur and it was just physically in pain. Uh, the left side of my chest was in pain during the day and even at night when I slept because it was beating so hard and it was like nothing was slowing down my heart. And the cardiologist knew that you know it was a cause that they couldn't identify, but something had changed. And when I paid out of pocket and went to Stanford, the doctor there, he was the first one to say it could be a side effect of the drug. And then we had my blood tested, sent it to Center of Disease Control. They confirmed toxic levels of the drug. And it was a really, really slow recovery after that. I would say it took 10 years to really get my strengths back. But, but the first year I was fighting for my life and nobody knew would I make it or not. Uh, there was just no path to say if my body would recover, if my heart would start beating normal again. And there was no medicine I could take. And so I was really... I would say it was the biggest challenge of my life on many levels. Uh, There was the loss of just friends and a life in Africa and a career and health and, you know, returning to my parents' basement. But physically, uh, just felt like everything in my body, which used to run perfectly fine, was now very unhealthy and even my mind. And I just wondered, like, am I going to lose my mind or am I going to be able to be in my right mind? And... You know, I that was some of the deepest kind of soul searching in my life where I had to wrestle those questions like, what do I still have and, and who am I? And my identity, without even realizing it, was in all those other things that were going well. And then they were just like gone instantly. And it's like, well, um, now it's my identity. And, you know, I, I won't like make this a preaching time, but I will say that it was a shift in God was still there. His love was still there. And that became the foundation of my life. And I'm grateful for my parents, my family that supported me through that time. But uh, I had to learn some new coping mechanisms in life. And 
I had always, I really value perseverance and it's helpful in so many different settings. But this is one where I couldn't just fix things. I couldn't just get better grades or I couldn't just play harder and better. I couldn't just make myself better physically. And there was just nothing to just persevere through. And so I had to learn, I would say for the first time in my life, really how to process pain and loss and kind of open my heart and deep prayer and a lot of healing. And that was a new road for me. And I still don't have that down, but I just knew perseverance alone wouldn't cover this. Like I needed some other kind of healing and I needed to go deeper. I couldn't deny things. And, uh, and, I, and I'm glad looking back, even though I'd never want to go through it or have someone else go through it. I'm glad for some of the things that I was almost kind of forced to learn and uh, kind of expand different responses to challenges in life than, than just be tough and get through it, uh, as helpful as that is in some settings. I can't even imagine, to be honest with you, Jesse. That's, that's a lot to go through. For I mean, you literally lost everything you had in like a second, like the blink of an eye. Right. And yep. like what, I mean, I guess what, what lessons would you say that you learned from, from that? Because not a lot of people have been through that much of an extreme traumatic event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say one of the things right away is, is to not take anything for granted. And sometimes in America, we can have a little bit of it entitled because the country's so prosperous, we take things for granted. And I started to savor, like, I was so grateful for every day. I was so grateful to be able to eventually walk 10 minutes. I was so grateful when my heart, you know, years later just started to beat normally. And so I started to write down 10 things every day I'm grateful for. It was like, uh, gratitude isn't dependent on how many things you have. Mm -hmm. It's, it's more of a choice. And it's easy in life to focus on what you don't have or, you know, just think the things that you do have, like, well, yeah, of course I should have them. But I started uh, to be so grateful for that. And I also realized if I'm ever just in my right mind, if I can help anybody, if I physically am strong, if I can make a difference in this world, like it's going to be a gift because I can't just manufacture it myself. And I, I didn't have it then. And so it was uh, something, I use the word grace, which means like an undeserved gift. And I, I just realized that it, my appreciation for grace and these gifts really increased. And uh, that was something I think inside that, that hasn't gone away, uh, even though, you know, I was sick, this happened many years ago. And I also think it really humbled me. Uh, I don't know, when you're facing long-term illnesses, you just, uh, it just strips away a lot of pride or any kind of fronts that you have and you get more authentic, you get more real. Uh, you know, I, I would have thought my twenties would just be like flying around, having fun, going to different countries, playing sports, but it wasn't. And, uh, and because of that, uh, I have a lot more compassion for people who are suffering, for people who have lost a lot, for people who are making career changes, I, I had no idea what I would do with soccer gone and uh, how to build, you know, a new career or second career. That's a, that's a significant process as an adult. And so I think some of that empathy with other people, but, but I'd say, yeah, authenticity would be a big one that um, the only way I was going to get through that is 
is to be genuine. And um, I just value that so much too. Yeah. And going back to gratitude, how can people get more into that mindset of like looking at things that they have rather than, you know, what they don't have? Yeah. It's so easy to uh, focus on what we don't have. And I'm someone that likes to look long-term. I like to look big picture. I'm a visionary. So I can easily live in a land that is 10 years down the road, five years down the road, the things I really want to accomplish and just be charging for that. And you got to be careful if you're wired that way, because you miss like right here and right now. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful for my wife. I got married when I was 34. Definitely worth the wait, wait for the right person versus, (laughs) you know, trying to force that thing early. And, uh, and, you know, my wife lives much more in the moment and she's much more aware of details. And my kids are great with this too, because my kids, they're not thinking of my goals three years from now. My kids are like, dad, do you want to play catch right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And and what's important is, you know, maybe I help them with their homework or, you know, but it's, it's right here, right now. And then just to give them that big hug and enjoy if it's reading a story or whatever we're doing, a walk in the forest. And... Uh, I think that's one of the healthiest things is to stay grateful. And I saw that in Africa because the people there were so grateful and so generous. And I just thought the generosity here exceeds what I've experienced in America. And I love our country. I love America. But people in Zimbabwe, they will give you, let's say, some meat. And they only get to eat meat like once every couple of months or they will give you this treasured possession in their house and they have almost nothing in their house and they're doing it with joy. And I realized again, gratitude and generosity are more about what's in your heart than how much you have. And the great thing is anyone can choose those things. And I also think uh, for me, those should be just naturally overflowing from my faith. Like if faith is real, it should lead to gratitude and generosity. And, uh, and those are winsome things. Like if you're a generous person or a grateful person, people are going to want to be around you. I mean, it's, it's contagious. You change cultures and businesses, you change cultures and family when you bring that. And it's something really powerful that you can bring to any setting. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, it takes some self-control to turn off the complaining, turn off the gossip, turn off the slander, turn off the envy. And you just have to realize, wait, that's a trap. It's not where I want to go. It's not going to lead to contentment. And we have, I think, a culture that's just racing around, chasing everything, trying to find peace. And contentment is unfortunately sometimes rare or like that's, that's the treasure. It's, it's not how much is in your bank account. Like, contentment uh, and peace of mind is a lot more important than your your resume and uh, and so forth. And then really when you are grateful and content and generous, the good things are just going to flow out of that versus you having to try to use people or climb or take advantage of people to get to your goal. So don't be a slave to your goals. Uh, it's good to chase them. It's good to have goals, but make sure that like your heart's right as you're going through it too. I love that little message at the end there. That's perfect. Because, I mean, I, I find it with myself all the time. I'm like shooting for these big goals. And, you know, like you said, you're looking too far. You got to look in the moment and, you know, realize what you have now. So I'm definitely going to take that message to heart. 
Yeah, and I'd say, you know, if you've got a lot of people listening to your podcast or in their 20s, like, those relationships are so important. You don't even know, like, when you build a healthy relationship, how many good things are going to come from that, like, over the next 10 years, you know? And, and so it's not just about tasks and goals, because, again, that's my natural wiring is, is to um, have a goal and run hard after it. But the longer I live... I just see how important relationships are, and um, I, I'd say don't neglect those. Definitely. So, Jesse, before I let you go, this is a question I really like to ask all my guests because I always get a different answer. What's your biggest piece of advice for people out there who are pursuing their dreams? Hmm. It's a great question. Uh, I would say don't panic when they change uh, because – Sometimes there's one dream for one season and there's a different dream for another season. And sometimes it's going to be something you never saw coming. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor now in Seattle, cool place, love what I do, would never have imagined it. And even with, you know, for me, faith, Jesus, I never uh, saw that coming. So sometimes in life, some of the best things are going to be things you don't see coming. But dreams are important. And I would say as you consider your dream, there's probably going to be an aspect of uh, kind of like compulsion. Like I've got to do this. There's going to be a great joy. I think a lot of people are going to be helped and it's okay if it feels much bigger than you. If, if it's something you just feel like, yeah, you can just whip up and do, it's probably not big enough, you know? And, and uh, so it, it's hard to steer a parked car. I would say start, you know, if you think it's, something down the road, start volunteering and doing that thing for five hours. Start finding a mentor, start shadowing somebody, start trying it, start using your gifts, see if it's really a match, but just keep building on it. And it's, it rarely happens just all in one. It's usually about a hundred small decisions and a lot of relationships. And like I say, there's mid course redirections, but uh, it's rich in life to have a dream. I think we have incredible purpose in our lives. And this is a time right now in our country where we need people who are passionate and have dreams mm -hmm. that are going to help a lot of people. So I love, you know, in your podcast, you're encouraging people. We all have setbacks, doubts, insecurities. That's just par for the course. But um, I like this podcast because we can inspire and encourage each other with our own stories. And we'll look back in the rearview mirror at how much we've made it through and uh, let's just keep helping each other, bringing out the best in each other. That's that's what a good relationship does, bring out the best in each other. And just make sure those dreams aren't all about you. They should really be bringing life to a lot of people. Yeah, it's, you've shared so many valuable insights, man. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this myself. But um, thank you so much for coming on, you know, sharing your story. I really respect your passion, you know, for helping others and just spreading your message. It's It's really amazing. So thanks for coming on, man. Tyler, I, I appreciate you, like your style, the tone. It's real easy to talk with you and just keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. Great. So uh, do you want to tell our listeners before before I let you go, you want to tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, you could check me out, again, Twitter, uh, Facebook, uh, and I'll respond to you if you send me a message. Instagram, although it took me a while to get on Instagram, but uh, <laughs> I've got different stuff on each of those. And then uh, I've got a new website called Exploring Faith, which is exploring-faith.com. Again, exploring-faith.com. And got some videos on there. If you're someone that's just thinking about faith a little bit, want to check some stuff out. Again, love to hear from anyone that's listening. And uh, I just um, 
I'll just, you know, be real and anything I can do to help, let me know. Great. That's awesome, man. And I'm going to put those links in the description for you guys out there. Um, that'll all be there for you. So Jesse, thanks again, man. Great to have you on and we'll be in touch. Sounds good, Tyler. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or if you learned something new, smash that subscribe button and leave us a quick review. Hustle and Motivate is presented by JokerMag.com, the home of the underdog.